All right. Well, welcome everybody to the Now Network podcast. Today, we've got some incredible guests. Uh, we've got Alan Rudder, who is with the Texas A&M uh, Transportation Institute, and Dan Goff, who's with Kodiak. And um, today, we're going to talk a lot about what's happening in freight as it relates to automation and autonomous vehicles, what's happening from a big policy standpoint, and also from a uh, from an overall trend standpoint. So I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Um, before we dig in, I'm gonna turn it over to each of you so you can do a quick intro about yourself and, and, your, and your organizations and, uh, and then we'll jump in. So Dan, why don't you kick us off with your intro? Sure, hi, um, I'm Daniel Goff. I'm the head of policy at Kodiak Robotics. Um, Kodiak is a startup dedicated to putting self-driving long-haul trucks on the road. Um, we were founded a little over two years ago by a guy named Don Burnett, who was um, really one of the original pioneers in the self-driving industry. He was a grad student at Carnegie Mellon in the late 2000s when Google kind of swept through and said anybody who's interested in, in sort of trying to put the research you're doing into practice, come with us. Um, and he spent about five or six years at Google and started to really think that um, that Google was sort of working on the wrong use case and that the sort of traditional view all of us have of these futuristic robo taxis that, you know, passenger vehicles that take people where um, wherever they want to go was, was actually the wrong use case for the technology he was developing um, and that it was much better suited for trucks. And the reason for that is kind of the intuitive reason that, when you're driving around in, in a city, you see a lot of weird stuff happening on the roads. Very unpredictable driving environment. You know, as we all see in our daily lives, you have, you know, cars and you have bikes and pedestrians and pets and all of these things that are, are great and are why, you know, living in cities or suburbs is fun, but are also really, really hard for computers to understand. Um, whereas for a truck, um, if you're looking at basically a long haul truck that's mostly driving on highways, you're talking about one of the most predictable highway driving environments there is. You know, everybody really should be going in the same direction. Um, everybody, you know, people sort of act much more predictably on highways, you know, with the occasional sort of, you know, the, the, the occasional uh, crazy thing happens, but it's much more predictable. And, and importantly, what happens, what you should do when something weird happens is a lot more obvious. You know, if, if you see a pedestrian 100 feet ahead in the middle of, you know, the street you live on, the, the right thing to do is almost always to keep going because that person's, you know, crossing the street, jaywalking, um, you know, um, but every once in a while that sort of that instinct is wrong. Whereas if you're on a highway, if you're on I-45 and you see a pedestrian 100 feet ahead of you in the middle of the lane, you should stop where you're going. Um, so, um, given sort of this increasing interest, um, he, he decided to pivot his, uh, his focus to, um, from sort of passenger cars to, uh, to trucks. Um, he was one of the founders of, of one of the first self-driving trucking companies, a company called Auto, that was quickly acquired by Uber, um, became head of, uh, software, head of, uh, software lead at Uber ATG, and then, left in April of 2018 to found Kodiak. Um, his co-founder was a VC investor, a guy named Paz Eschel, who was looking at the space and kind of came to the same conclusion that he did, um, and, but didn't see any companies that he thought were, were in the right space. Um, 
in the trucking space. Um, so together they founded Kodiak. And um, in just over two years, we've gone from sort of the two of them founding the company to a team of 75 people. And we're based in Silicon Valley, but we actually do most of our testing and deployment in Texas. Um, we deliver freight daily between Dallas and Houston, um, have a, a fleet of trucks out of our, our South Dallas operations hub. Um, so we think Texas is is going to be the first place we see these technologies on the road. And you can actually, if you are in, in Texas, you can actually see our trucks um, on I-45 um, on a daily basis. Great, Dan. And I think um, a, a, a couple of points. Number one, you mentioned sort of the unpredictability of in-city driving. I've got a 17-year-old son, so he's part of that sort of weird ecosystem of unpredictable drivers uh, that I certainly... No comment. Yeah, I wouldn't want to program around. And you'd, I think you'd mentioned to me on the phone the other day that Kodiak has already made a couple hundred deliveries between Dallas and Houston. Am I remembering that right? Uh, we, I think we hit 400 last week. Yes. So we started last July, at the end of last July. So it's been um, just about a year. And, and uh, you know, we've gone from, again, we, as, I, as I sort of said, our model is to focus just on that highway portion. So today we have a safety driver and what we call right seat operator, a system operator. So two people in every truck. There's a joke in the autonomous vehicle industry that you can tell that a vehicle drives itself when it has two drivers in it at all times. Um, uh, so we have our, our safety driver drives to a distribution center, picks up a load, um, drives to the highway, presses play, and the, the truck drives itself. Um, until uh, until we get to Houston, and then um, you know they they pull the truck off the highway and and do the final delivery. Great, thanks, Dan. I appreciate that that background on Kodiak, and certainly an exciting journey after two years. It's amazing the progress that your team has has made. Alan, how about you? Tell us about you and uh, and the work that you're doing right now with uh, the Texas A and M Transportation Institute. Uh, howdy, thanks for having us uh, on. Uh, Texas A&M Transportation Institute just celebrated its 70th birthday. Uh, we got created by the Texas legislature as a um, applied research organization. We're affiliated with Texas A&M University. Our headquarters is just outside of Bryan. Um, have about 700 uh, people who are full-time researchers and grad students. Uh, doing everything from uh, roadsides to pavements to driver behavior to uh, uh, transportation uh, planning and performance. Uh, do a lot of work uh, under contract to public and private sector uh, sponsors. Uh, I joined TTI about seven years ago. Uh, I head up uh, a, a division of freight and investment analysis uh, and also help coordinate our freight practice across uh, the organization. Uh, previously, uh, a long um, history within the uh, public sector, uh, working around the Capitol in Austin for a long time, including uh, working for four different governors, uh, was the head of the Federal Railroad Administration for President Bush, and uh, also the head of the North Texas Tollway Authority for a couple of years. So uh, seven years is about as long as I've lasted anywhere. So I'm really looking forward to pressing that uh, a little farther with my TTI boys. Uh, we are doing work in, in freight, um, uh, working on helping public sector understand how freight works and what they need to do to plan their transportation networks accordingly. Uh, and the whole business of what's going to happen with automated trucking is of real importance to people who own and maintain our highways. 
Great, Alan. Thank you very much. And so you led off with the Texas A&M greeting of howdy. I think that's a, it's a requirement, I think, for anyone that works at A&M or has been at, been at A&M. Well, and I actually, I'm a diversity hire at, at TTI. I went to the school in Austin and because I'm a native Texan, I've been saying howdy for a long time. I didn't realize it was a, a, a registered trademark of the, the Aggies, yeah. uh, but I, I still I use it to fit in. That's awesome. Well, so Dan, let's stay with, uh, I'm sorry, Alan, let's stay with you. Um, tell us about some of the bigger trends that are happening in the area of freight, in, in particular, what, what, uh, what we might say is sort of more of the commercial or industrial freight world. And what are the things that are sort of top of mind at, um, at the Institute today and also with you? Well, I think what we're trying to figure out is how to keep abreast of the pace of change in, in technology, uh, particularly in the, in the freight space. Uh, I think you're seeing an awful lot of increase of uh, application of technology and use of it uh, everywhere how freight moves. Uh, uh, warehouses and distribution centers are being automated. Uh, there's an awful lot of in, uh, encouragement to think about the driving uh, function uh, how to make that safer and, and frankly, how to leverage a limited driver pool uh, to, to get more out of those folks. Uh, the, the promise of uh, vehicle automation is to not only uh, have some benefits to those uh, that labor, uh, but also to make it safer, safer for everybody, safer for those drivers, safer for the people on the highway. Uh, how people who own the, the asset and are maintaining it, what do they need to do about that physical footprint of the road to make it uh, available and, and to fit some of that uh, automation that's happening. So a, a lot of what we see our uh, public sector sponsors is uh, helping them understand how fast things are moving. And frankly, the I think one of the things that uh, Dan and his uh, colleagues and, and many of uh, his their competitors uh, there's an awful lot of interest in uh, freight automation that the fleet is smaller than, than automobiles. Uh, like he said, the primary activity of highway driving is a, is a little easier to, to, uh, to think about how to automate that and, and advance uh, some driver assistance systems. Uh, so part of our job is to help people uh, get ahead of or at least stay consistent with what's happening in the industry. Great. Thanks, Alan. Dan, what about you? How do you view and the team at Kodiak um, view sort of the macro changes that are happening and the macro trends that are happening? Sure. So I think I think the first macro trend um, that I think Alan kind of alluded to is that um, all of a sudden, maybe not quite all of a sudden, but people are really paying attention to freight automation. Um, you know, when we were founded, again, sort of a little over two years ago, um, self-driving trucks were kind of considered less, you know, less interesting, maybe more of a backwater than robo-taxis. Um, but in the last two years, the industry has really come around to our, our point of view and our, our view of the world and understanding both, you know, the importance of this, so it's both the, um, the technical advantages to tackling this problem first as well as sort of the the power of the business case and sort of the the broad range of benefits that come from freight automation. Um, so we've seen Waymo, which is you know the sort of Google self-driving successor and part of Alphabet, announced in the last maybe 
four or five months that they're going to be focusing on uh, freight alongside robo taxis. Um, Aurora, which was um, which is another sort of probably the best known of the independent um, self-driving developers, announced a, a sort of a new focus on freight as well. So we're really seeing people paying attention to this technology um, for the first time, which we think is great. I mean, I think it's uh, it's certainly validation of 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 the importance. I think. Additionally, we're seeing um, across sort of technology types and a, a bit of increasing interest in freight altogether and, and in sort of perhaps uh, a divergence in the kinds of technologies that we're seeing or, or, or multiplication. So we've all seen sort of the spectacular growth and in interest in electrification, but mostly for first and last mile delivery, but increasingly, I know, um, you know, there's there's talk of how do you actually diversify um, over the road trucking, or sorry, how do you electrify over the road trucking as well? And we're sort of seeing all of these new freight technologies come come in at the same time, as well as what's happening in warehouses and you know uh, for uh, automating what happens in in yards and all those kinds of things. We're seeing just this huge proliferation of these technologies, and and I think that's you know sort of in the in the medium to long run going to be really great for consumers i mean first of all efficiency is good for consumers there's there's no question um but we're also you know for for average drivers um there are going to be a lot of benefits to our technology technology as well you know our trucks won't speed they'll never drive drunk they're never going to look at their phone um they don't care if it's three in the afternoon or three in the morning um, so we're hoping that sort of one of the effects for average people on the roads when these kinds of automation technologies um, start to proliferate is, in fact, you'll, you will actually see fewer trucks, um, which, you know, I think maybe not quite up there with your 17-year-old son, but the reality is that very few people love driving next to, uh, you know, an 18-wheeler um, on the highway um, and, you know, sort of reducing the need to have those trucks driving down major interstates and, you know, during rush hour um, will be a great advantage to a lot of people. So Dan, let's dig into In addition that. to safety, you know, as Alan pointed to, which I think is, you know, is incredibly important. And I think we're, we're not alone in this. I mean, we are building um, what is called a safety case, which is basically a, a sort of front to back argument that our vehicles are safe. And our goal is to prove or prove our engineers that you can never prove anything. So I can't, I can't say we're going to prove it, but at least make a, a very comprehensive argument that our trucks are safer than, than, um, than a human driver. And, and that's going to be really great for, for drivers as well. So Dan, um, let's dig in deeper to the point of um, fewer trucks on the road, I guess, at any given time. So tell us more about how autonomous trucking and just sort of technology applied to the freight world in general is going to produce that result? Sure. So um, the average, and, and uh, I don't have this in front of me, so I, I apologize if I get this slightly wrong, but um, basically the, the, the core, one of the core safety regulations, it's really an important safety regulation that, uh, that the federal government enforces today to, to maintain the safety of trucks is what's called hours of service regulations which basically say, you know, and I'm sure many of your listeners know this, but basically say that a truck driver can only drive sort of 11 hours a day out of a 14 hour work day. And that's just to make, you know, just sort of make sure that truck drivers are 
you know, it's, it's certainly a blunt instrument and it's not always popular, but it's to make sure that drivers are well rested and aren't fatigued when they're on the road. Um, you know, our computers, in addition to not driving drunk, will also not, generally speaking, get fatigued. Um, so the utilization rates of our trucks are going to be, you know, at least will be significantly higher than with um, with uh, with human driven trucks. So the actual sort of overall need for trucks is will probably drop to some extent with our with automation. Um, and additionally, we are going to be able to fairly explicitly you know, we, we are not going to optimize around human schedules. We're not going to optimize around hours of service, which is basically how the industry optimizes asset utilization today. Um, so, you know, we're going to work pretty hard to avoid going, you know, we don't want the truck to get stuck in traffic um, and to contribute to traffic. So we're going to be sort of focusing on how do you actually route around urban areas um, in the middle of the day and, and you know, or, or at rush hour and how do you not contribute to congestion and you know the overall impact will be you'll see we'll see a lot more sort of stuff moving overnight and and, and to some extent that happens already but to a much greater degree than we see right now yeah it makes a lot of sense so uh, alan both of you and dan talked um, quite a bit about safety um tell tell us about your view on how well the various regulating agencies and entities out there understand the impact of of freight related technology on things like safety and i'll just sort of i'll just sort of couch it with a an observation i made when a couple of years ago watching a congressional congressional hearing with mark zuckerberg with facebook and and the regulators attempting to sort of figure out how to even ask questions about technology and its and its impact on our world and it struck, strikes me sometimes that regulators may not have a great understanding of how quickly technology is improving. So what do you think about that? What do you think about how well regulators really understand what this technology is? Some of the things that Dan's talked about in terms of the value proposition to society. Tell us, tell us more about that. Let me start on that. I mean, I think there are two distinctions we all make. One is uh, policymakers, people in elected office and regulators. Um, how do I be charitable about it? We just had an election in Texas yesterday. <laughs> uh, if you think about who's at the dais on one of those congressional hearings, uh, tend to be older, uh, tend to be guys, uh, and uh, they usually have been doing that job for a long time. Uh, the, the good thing about uh, the, the highway environment is most of the, your elected officials still have a car and still drive. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're, they're, they're somewhat familiar with that that experience, uh, but they're not as uh, on, on top of uh, how fast things are changing or how fast things are moving. So making policy is, uh, tends to be a lagging indicator rather than a leading one. I think one of the interesting things that Texas legislators had done, uh, Kelly Hancock is a state senator from uh, the, the Fort Worth area, sponsored some legislation a couple of years ago to create a uh, regulatory environment in Texas that says, hey, if you want to experiment on automated vehicles, trucks, uh, autos, Here's how that happens. We, we want you to have some insurance. Uh, we want you to be reputable, uh, but we're not going to tell you what to do or how you do it. We, this is the, we'll create an environment in which you can experiment because we want Texas to be a place where people can experiment uh, and to do so safely. 
Uh, mm -hmm. So that's really been the reason why you see Kodiak and Too Simple and, a whole, and Embark and a whole lot of people in Texas is because Texas legislators created a, an environment on a regulatory standpoint that allows that experimentation to happen. Uh, I think we haven't seen at the national federal level uh, Congress be able to create a regulatory environment for automated vehicles, freight or automobiles. Uh, most of the, the attention has been on automobiles because of uh, uh, the Uber and everybody else's experiments. And uh, when you have a pedestrian fatality, that gets everybody's attention. Most of those uh, testing uh, regimes haven't included uh, freight, which is, you know, that allows for this experimentation to continue to happen. Uh, I think regulators themselves uh, are, are trying to figure out how to um, encourage the adoption of this technology, which they know to be a, a safer operation, how to make that happen, how to do so in a way that makes other drivers comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, people who are on I-45 as they pull out of Bucky's and get on, on the highway out of the Madisonville, how are they going to be comfortable about that truck they're merging next to uh, how automated it might be. Uh, that's gonna take a little while and a little public education. The good news is that folks like Dan and the Kodiak guys, by demonstrating this on an ongoing basis, uh, you'll be able to, part of that education is to say, you probably didn't know this, but for the last year, we've been on the same road you've been. Uh, that's gonna be an important part of that uh, public education message. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, certainly it's exciting as a Texan to, to hear that, um, that Texas is one of the states that's leading the way and providing a more sort of a progressive way to look at um, adoption of technology within the framework of, of regulations and, and policy, et cetera. Um, so let's dig into one core topic in the, in the time that we have remaining. Um, I wanna make something sort of a really practical conversation. So Dan, let's start with you. Let's say that you're a freight company uh, or you're, you're somewhere within the sort of supply chain ecosystem. Could be a freight company, could be a buyer of freight, um, warehousing, et cetera. What, what kinds of things should you be thinking about today uh, to take the first steps on adopting a new way of thinking around your business? Um, because it can be pretty daunting as we hear about these sort of technologies and, and how things are moving, it can be pretty daunting to think about where I even begin if I'm an owner or a leader within these businesses. So what are your thoughts on that, Dan? Sure, so I think, um, I think it's a first step to think about this. I mean, as, as you just said, um, you know, actually our, our, our trucks have been on the road for a year. We've delivered 400 loads for customers. Um, and in fact, you know, it hasn't been a, uh, you know, basically nobody's noticed. I mean, I, you know, I wish people wouldn't, sometimes I wish at least people would notice more um, to the extent that I'm, you know, involved in our, in, in our sort of public outreach uh, uh, like this. Um, and so I think, I think one of the interesting things about automated freight is, um, is that in fact, we're not, you know, we're not sort of really disrupting anybody in the way that people think about Silicon Valley sort of cut in and break everything, you know, move fast and break stuff is in fact, you know, our, the American freight system is incredibly efficient and incredibly high, you know, well-oiled machine. And we're really looking to 
um, make just one, you know, one part of that machine a little bit more efficient and a little bit, um, a little bit safer. So to some extent, if you're, you know, it, I, I hate to say this to some, because, you know, one, one thing that we realized sort of fairly quickly is that in the end, we're, we're a trucking company um, more so than a technology company in a lot of ways. So if, if you're interested in, in the technology, you know, give us or, or one of our competitors um, a call and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to ship something with you. And in fact, you, you'll probably see that it, it won't make that much of a difference in what you're doing, which I think is great. I don't think, at least in the short term, people really need to reorient themselves around automation. Um, in the longer run, I think some of the, the changes, however, are, are going to be, um, you know, perhaps a little more profound. So as I said, again, we're, we're focused on just middle mile, what we call middle mile, but just the sort of um, interstate highway portion of, um, of the logistics chain. So that means we're going to be looking for places where we can switch. It means, first of all, we're, we're going to have, we're preserving a pretty significant role for traditional human truck drivers um, for first and last mile. And actually think we're going to be creating a lot of jobs in that space. Um, and it means also we're going to need places where we can switch between, you know, switch a load from a traditional truck um, to one of our trucks to more highway adjacent. So, you know, if you own a warehouse or in the warehousing business, I think it's time, you know, it's time to at least start thinking about how do we prepare um, our warehouses and, and prepare our infrastructure for self-driving trucks. Are we, you know, are we optimi optimally placed close to highways? Do we have sort of the right space to switch loads? Um, again, you know, once you're already switching loads, maybe it makes sense to switch to um, switch to an electric tractor. Um, which will, you know, once the infrastructure build out, probably be a little bit cheaper and, and more efficient. Um, so are we prepared for those kinds of switches? Um, but those are, you know, those questions are a little bit of a ways off. And right now, if, if you're interested, it's something that actually is, is relatively easy to try so long as you're on one of the routes, um, you know, that, that we or competitors are focused on. Because right now this technology is not quite on rails, um, but it, you know, we, we are just doing Dallas to Houston right now. And that's, that's something that, you know, I don't know if we're going to change that, um, you know, next year or in two years, but, um, you know, and, but it's, uh, it's, that's what we're, we're doing right now to some extent, you know, we've, we've invented the railroad. So congratulations to us. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Dan. Alan, how about you? Uh, what do you, what would be your conversation with someone who is, uh, uh, a business owner or a leader in the space, how, how, how should they start taking first steps to, to really embrace technology like this? Well, I, I think they have the opportunity to think about, uh, I, I like how Dan described their operation as a, a, a freight provider, not a technology company. Uh, and so if you're a, a, a shipper or you, if you have a fleet or if you're in the business, if you're a broker or a 3PL, um, your job is to provide your clients uh, to take stuff from one place to another. Uh, keeping an eye on how that happens and how to add efficiencies. Uh, the discussion or consideration of whether the, that highway trip uh, is going to be automated is part of how reliable is that? Uh, how, if that's happening on off hours, maybe you get some reliability uh, benefits. Maybe there's some cost benefits that accrue to you. 
And those same 3PLs and, and shippers and, and carriers are also trying to figure out how to gain more uh, business intelligence out of the, the ton of data that's being created by their trucks, you know, normal trucks right now. Uh, a whole lot of OEMs are starting to realize that they are not only in the uh, equipment manufacturing business, they're in the service provision business. And, and so a lot of folks who uh, provide tires or uh, lubricants or engines are offering people the opportunity to buy service uh, in the same way that uh, HP uh, actually sells ink, not printers. Uh, these guys are providing ongoing service to help uh, create diagnostic uh, information that helps people gain uh, more business intelligence out of how their drivers are performing and how they can be coached, how their engines are performing and how to get better mileage. Uh, there's a whole lot of benefits that uh, these guys are adopting technology incrementally all over the place. Uh, automation in the, the vehicle movement is one part of an automation space that's increasing their ability to keep squeezing more efficiencies out of the freight world. So it seems like both of you have talked about this concept of different parts of the supply chain beginning to light up with automation or technology or data. And it certainly seems like we're moving towards a, a connection of all those things together. Maybe we're still some time away from that. So that beautifully, uh, highly efficient connectivity, but I can see how that world is evolving. So I'll, uh, one final question for both of you, and I'll give you uh, 20 or 30 seconds to respond to this. Um, if you had a magic wand and, and you could predict uh, or create what the world would look like in five years time, as it relates to the freight movements that we're talking about, what would you want to see? What do you think would be a, an incredible outcome for, for society and customers and participants in the supply chain? So Dan, I'm, I'm gonna start with you. What's your how would you wave your magic wand? Um, that's a good question. If I could wave, I mean, I think, I, I think from an infrastructure perspective, I think one thing that the industry is really focused on is making this as lightweight as possible. Um, you know, it's not, uh, we don't want this to be a, a a 50-year infrastructure project or, you know, this is not, this is not building the interstate system again. Um, and it's really, again, uncool. But if there's one thing that policymakers could do to, to sort of accelerate adoption of this technology, uh, I'm going to go with two things. One is, you know, that sort of highway adjacent parking that, that, um, that I mentioned earlier. And then, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to understand essentially people talk a lot about machine learning and, and sort of, you know, self-driving is an application of machine learning technology. Machine learning is not magic. It's, it's very high functioning pattern recognition. Um, so making those patterns as consistent as possible turns out to be really important. So, you know, making sure that when, when people are doing construction, they actually bother to repaint the lane lines, um, even if it's only for a few weeks of construction turns out to be really helpful for these kinds of technologies. Um, you know, people want are often sort of ask us, ask us what we're looking for and, and expecting us to say, we need, you know, 5G and covering every inch of highway and all these vehicle, the infrastructure kinds of technologies and it's like lane lines actually, is, you know, it's pretty important. So, um, 
you know, I think I think that's pretty much what what would make sort of help bring this to fruition. And then I, I've gone way longer than 20 seconds here, but I do think the public education part is is really important, as Alan talked about that that these are technologies that you know I I think people are really going to like, um, but are going to be weird at first. Um, and sort of getting the opportunity, and it's really hard to do these days. And we had. You know, we were planning on bringing a truck to South by Southwest. We were pretty excited about that. We're going to do a demo. And, you know, it's it's hard for people to get sort of hands-on experience with these kinds of technologies these days. But I think that's really important as well. Yeah, great. Thank you, Dan. Alan, Alan how about you? What is your, how would you wave your magic wand for the next five years? I'd say five years from now, we're going to see a, um, an explosion of different kinds of freight technology uh, beyond what we can even expect right now. I think we're going to see different kinds of uh, propulsion power, a lot more electric, a lot more fuel cells, a lot less diesel. Uh, we're going to see some changes in business practices, a lot more hub and spoke, a lot more regional, which hand off to some of those inner city uh, movements. I think the the ability to leverage the the efficiencies that come from this uh, increasing automation of long haul interstate movements uh, offers uh, some abilities to have trucking almost function a little like air airlines did a, a couple of decades ago. Um, so I think there's going to be a, a real variety of of kinds of opportunities out there, all of which means that as we as consumers buy more stuff and buy more stuff online, that uh, all of that can get to our houses as soon as we want them to efficiently and cheaply uh, and safely. Uh, so I, I really expect some really dramatic, uh, unusual and uh, very interesting changes in the future. Well, great. Well, well, thank you both of you for your time this morning. Such a great conversation. Um, uh, thank Alan, you. Where where can, Alan, where can people learn more about the Texas A&M uh, Transportation Institute? Uh, TTI.TAMU.EDU is our website. We have all kinds of uh, uh, stuff about us, about our products, the, some of the things we prepare. And you're uh, welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. I try to post uh, some content out there on what's going on in the freight world. Uh, and uh, look forward to... Uh, uh, more uh, conversation members that you guys are going to be doing as part of this podcast. And Dan, how about you? Where can people learn more about Kodiak and what you're up to? Sure. Uh, we are at, available at Kodiak.ai um, and we're on, uh, on uh, Kodiak Robotics on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and uh, we, uh, you know, you can, you can contact me at Dan at Kodiak.ai. Great. Well, Dan and Alan, thank you so much again for your time this morning. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening into this conversation. Hope everyone has an amazing day today. Thank you.